0: Today we're in chapter 12 of 2nd Corinthians. Um, as you sensed, these whole uh, chapter 12 and even chapter 11, there's so much complaints and Paul's defending himself and there's a drastic difference between Apostle Paul's approach and life and philosophy and ministry versus these intruders, new apostles who claimed to be triumphalistic, who claimed that they were recommended by the original apostles in Jerusalem. They were drastically different. And because of these false apostles and Apostle Paul uh, sarcastically used the word super apostles, superlative apostles. Obviously, the Corinthians were uh, stirred in complaints against Paul as well and doubted. So, before we jump into today's passage, which is chapter 12, verse 11 through 21, let's have a really quick uh, overview of the Corinthian Christians or churches' complaints against Apostle Paul. Here's the first one: They're about Paul's modesty as his inferiority. So basically, what they're saying is, Paul, why can't you be more like these fantastic apostles from Jerusalem? They're assertive, they have a charisma, Uh, even from our uh, language. uh, They're incredible speakers. They know how to sell themselves. But Paul didn't boast. Paul actually shied away from boasting, uh, becoming, looking very fantastic intentionally, because of uh, Paul's conviction that he didn't want to get in the way of the power of the Holy Spirit. Even his eloquence, even his wisdom, personal wisdom, can be hindrance for these people. So his meekness was there too. But that meekness was complained also too. They complained about Paul's meekness as a weakness. Um, appreciated a last week's sermon by Bo. Remember, Bo said, you know, um, we sometimes misunderstand a meek person as a weak person. Actually, meek weak person cannot be meek person because there's a sense of uh, much control of power and, and strength. And, you know, I, when it comes to the lack of control, do you remember Mice and Men? Um, he had a, such a strength, but he didn't have a control of his own power. He's regretful after the you know, tragic incident happens. But the whole thing about this Paul coming in and even at um, the moment that Paul was accused and even confronted by one of their people, and some people say it's maybe the the same person who had an incest, sleeping with his uh, father's concubine, father's, father's wife, Maybe that 1 Corinthians 5 is the same person is confronting. Who are you to say all this? But it's not so much about him, but Paul's sad, he calls it tearful visit last time when he visited. Corinthians didn't do anything. They're not even a neutral person, a people well, kind of, uh, he has some something to say in it. Paul was not only disappointed. But he was really sad and he was deeply hurt, tearful in that. But even then, Paul didn't fight back. Some scholars say that Paul, Apostle Paul, who was able to heal the the dead because of apostolic power given to him, Uh, his handkerchief was touched and people were healed. Maybe he could have done something. We don't know, but basically, even at the natural level of fighting back, shouting back, he didn't do that. He was meek. He chose to be meek. Because he was a follower of Christ. But the Corinthians took it as Paul's weak. He can't even speak for himself. So, why can't you lead more forcefully and powerfully without being unimpressive and weak in person? You're only strong in your letters. Third complaint. Is about Paul's financial policy. They took it as a suspicious reason. Why can't you ask for and receive financial support like everybody else? Every other apostle for their ministry. These uh, false apostles came into their town and from Jerusalem, they probably charged for their teaching Incredible amount, but the one f- funny thing about that is that they liked it. their leadership was uh abrasive, treating them like slaves. but they actually thought because god's power is in him, he saw much authority is in him, kind of reflects. What's going on in our world too? The more stronger the personality is on TV or healing crusade, the more they claim that God, its power is on them, and the more they are entitled to even use private jet and mentions for their ministry, there's a sense that people said, oh, maybe he really has something. But on, unlike them, Paul was basically, I don't want to burden you financially. This is a big sacrifice. But they took it as, I um, Maybe because he's not qualified to be real apostles. Maybe he has an ulterior motive about something. So that leads to the fourth uh, major complaint about Paul. They, they complain about Paul's self-denial as an ulterior motive. They're basically saying, why can't you stop changing your plans? You said you were going to come but you took, took a longer. Well, and why can't you be more like other disciples? You see, today's passage if we are not watchful we're going to distance ourselves. Oh, that's Paul, that's Corinthians but nothing like that happens in our days anyway. You know, according to uh, our church is teaching, there is no capital A apostle anymore. The, the apostles are chosen by Christ and sent by Christ directly so that they would be walking revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, walking New Testament. And because of that, they're given, they're given with the special signs and wonders. There's none of that. So, what's the point? No, actually, there is a tremendous relevance and uh, urgency in our days because there are people walking around with this kind of mentality. Their churches are big, and their crusade and their gatherings are huge, and they're on TV. the question comes to us is two questions for me how do we discern who's true spiritual leader <coughs> what makes a leader spiritual leader true authentic leaders or pseudo or false leaders and the second thing is well, in some sense, I'm leading spiritually. My home, I lead my wife and children. And even if you are at work, in some sense, there are new Christians and they are uh, Christians who are younger, and even at our church, you're leading. Even if you're homemakers with the little ones, you are some sense of exercising spiritual leadership. And the question is, what does it look like for for me to grow as a spiritual leader? What are the essential, genuine qualities of spiritual leadership? True spiritual leadership. And as we have that mindset, we're going to see clear difference, radical difference. Basically, the triumphalism that false apostles had, which is very similar to our prosperity gospel uh, preachers. The triumphalism basically said if you have enough faith, you could be triumphal in every aspect. There is no more suffering, no more sickness, no more failure. You could be confident, you could be Claiming the kingdom of God for, for yourself. So stylistically you could see they're not so much different. Maybe even more strangely more arrogant, self-promoting than even the typical worldly charismatic speakers and leaders. Because there's a God component is there. How do we discern? Oh, I I like him anyway. I know that nobody's perfect. If I listen to him, it it sounds really good. Of course. Sisters and brothers, listen to this. If you're beaten by a poisonous viper, the scientists say 80, 85% of that venom is protein. Good things. But that 15% is what kills us. The closer the message of these false uh, spiritual leaders or even semantically it could be the same message but their life is duplicitous and things like that happen. We need to be watchful against that. The same, in the same mindset of do we value the spiritual leaders who are not self-promoting, who are not the worldly definitions, definition of charismatic leaders? Or do we take ourselves out of the equation of leading others spiritually because I don't have such and such things. Well, What does the Holy Spirit urge us to build on? Cultivate on? That's the question, isn't it? Second Corinthians 12 going into t- verses 9 and 10 the last message about two weeks ago was a climactic in his letter and shows what he's been doing. The reason why he, Paul, was boasting not in his accomplishments, but in his sufferings and weakness. In verse nine, when he pleaded to Christ to take away his, his thorn in the flesh, we don't know exactly what it was. Some kind of a detrimental sickness or whatnot. and the Christ answer to him was this verse 9 but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness someone clo- coming in and unpacking his life that's the picture pitch the tent it uh when when the power of Christ made rest upon me. Sorry about that. Let me read it again. My gracious grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. <clears throat> for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This was the paradoxical truth and open secret that Paul had. The, the remainder of the chapter, to today's text, is actually Um, the correct title for today's message, if we're just sticking to the context only will be the marks of true apostle. But remember my concern that we're going to take ourselves out of the equation. So Let's broaden the perspective of application Still same observation in taking the meaning out of the text. But let's ask the question, what are the marks of spiritual leader, true spiritual leader? One caveat. And obviously Paul's writing this in light of response to what's happening, tensions between Corinthian church and himself. So this is by no means comprehensive list. He's not trying to uh, have a teaching session of a true spiritual leadership. But we're taking the lessons. So uh, there are at least four marks that I saw which are powerful. Here's the first one. Help me, I'm stuck. Mark number one is God's anointing with humility and endurance. In other words, Paul used God-given authenticating signs with genuine humility and great endurance. uh, Hang in there. It will make all sense clearly. Verse 11, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. I have been a fool. What, what does he mean by that? Because he engaged himself in foolish boasting, or well, started with his his uh, pedigree, pedigree <coughs> about his Hebrew of Hebrews, Israelites of Israelites, Benjaminites. You know, but he quickly turned to his suffering. But and yet, he's boasting about even supernatural experience taken up to the paradise, third heaven, and all those things that he felt really uncomfortable doing that and concluded with that God's power revealed in his weakness. Then he continues on, I'm a fool. I, I would rather not do these kind of foolish posting, even if it's I restrain myself a lot. And what does he mean by the signs of true apostle were performed? As I mentioned, in the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. They were the mouthpiece, pieces of God. But in the New Testament, the prophets' role was not so much of a mouthpiece of God, but the prophets were, the prophecy, New Testament prophecy was to edify the church, to, to spoken, relevant, maybe timely words to one another. Not an eternal, lasting word of God with a universal principle. So I still believe, as a, I'm not a cessationist, continuationist, meaning that I believe that miraculous gifts are still continuing, but not in the uh, the Old Testament way, the New Testament of prophets. We, you and I, could have gift of prophecy, of speaking, the prompting of the Spirit, the urges of the Spirit within that time um, the relevant time frame, not as a universal word of God, not as the ultimate authority of God. But the New Testament was laid upon the foundation of the apostles, the the twelve apostles to begin with, while well, not counting is Judas Iscariot, eleven disciples who walked day and night. With, the, with Jesus being taught and seen the works and the teaching of Jesus hands-on. And special case like Apostle Paul who was given the revelation by the risen and resurrected Christ and we don't know exactly what type of things that he received but all the things that he received considered the revelation from Christ became at least 13 books of the New Testament written by Apostle Paul. It was not Paul's word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the signs of wonder were validating, authenticating signs from the from God. So when Apostle Paul showed up, there were miracles. But the difference between these false apostles who came, who were showing up, and maybe they were able to bring some kind of miraculous healing and things as well. But Apostle Paul's attitude As we see this, I'm not inferior. Self-respect. But even though I am nothing. This is genuine humility. If you are leading someone, God has anointed you with some gift. And that's God-given gift, anointing. And some people have this uh, visually effective and fruitful, whether it's a, you, are, you are incredibly gifted in the eloquence of speech or some kind of leadership skill, that you might have that. But there is no question about it. Because because of those things, sometimes we are fooled by these pseudo-false spiritual leaders, aren't we? But the difference is genuine humility and great in- endurance. We need to th- dwell upon this a little bit. So genuine humility is having both. Self-respect, I'm not inferior. But I'm nothing. It kind of reminds me of these situations when I was younger. I used to say that too. But well-meaning young uh, leaders, and that you, you you know that person led an incredible meeting, or spoke incredible sermon, and then people come to him. Oh, that was wonderful! Oh yes, even singing also too. It was inspiring. Your voice was like angel's voice, and God spoke to me through your song. There's some people who say, trying to be humble, good good intention, oh, it wasn't me. It was all oh God. It was spirit. I, I didn't do anything. I still remember one person, and in writing, I, I didn't hear a person. Well, you need to learn to take compliment and say thank you. If, if God really did that all and you didn't do nothing, he could do much better than that. <laughs> True. <laughs> so let's not confuse about this false pseudo-humility that we're putting down ourselves. We're actually, Paul said, I'm not any way inferior to those guys. But how about the other case, when we did such a powerful message? I, I still remember when I was a youth pastor, I spoke at this campfire, and it, all these kids were crying. I don't know, maybe even including Elgin cried. Just imagine that, right? So I thought I became a next pilgrim. <laughs> I was so prideful and arrogant. I'm probably just, re- my grandma reading Bible is like, Grandma, you could do better than that, you know. When I speak, uh, God's word become alive. You know what's a humbling fact is later on when I do some follow-up with each kid, they're not, they were not crying because my message was so powerful. They were crying because their dog died. Their boyfriend broke up with them, with her. All those weird reasons. (laughs) (laughs) How about great endurance? Uh, 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 ESB, English Standard Version, translates it as with utmost patience. I think the great inter- endurance phrase describes it, at least for me, better. Because contextually what Paul is saying is be- not because of these uh, God-given supernatural works and signs and wonder. Those things didn't give me problem free ministry. There were so many sufferings and afflictions and persecutions, beatings and scourgings, and hungry days and shipwrecks. During, during all those three, three things, utmost patience, great endurance, perseverance. This is basically knowing ourselves, we're nothing, but under the sovereign sovereign grace of God, we could endure, hope in God. We'll never get discouraged to a point that we give up. We're knocked down, but we're never completely gone. We'll get up seven times. That's the expression Paul is having here. So first sign, God's anointing with humility and endurance, is both are very important, isn't it? We take confidence in what God has given me, and develop that, cultivate that. Don't deny that, don't shy away from it, and you could work on it to get better. And those of you think, oh. I'm having a hard time lead my spiritual family. I mean, the sp- spiritual leadership in my family because my wife knows more Bible and she's been longer Christian. You could work on it. You could get better at it. But at the same time, having that clear perspective of we are every one of us is nobody serving somebody there is no such a thing as great servant if you think about it we are all lame servant serving great god there's a second mark in what I observed in Paul's uh, life, selfless love and radical sacrifice. In other words, Paul was radically selfless and sacrificial in loving and serving the Corinthians for Christ's sake. Verse 13, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you, Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents. But parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent. Your souls, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? And Paul's talking about you guys complain a lot about uh, my qualification or that I didn't do enough authoritative, powerful, forceful, charismatic work on you guys. I did the signs but with humility and patience endurance the only thing that lacked in my apostolic ministry was I chose not to financially burden you. Do you remember? I went over this over and over so let me allow me to be redundant once more. In Corinth because of the philosophy the Greeks were so uh, drawn to these speakers uh, oratory skills and different ideas and there are itinerary speakers and teachers all the time so when that person comes in they will charge if they are known more and popular they charge more And then when Paul came and Paul started teaching, he didn't want people to get confused. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one of those ideas and one of those philosophies, one of the oratory skills. So he chose. He gave up his apostolic right not to charge him. He he received financial support from Macedonian churches Philippian church and Thessalonican Thessalonian churches but not in Corinth and he's wonderfully sarcastic here forgive me this wrong that's the only thing i didn't do but don't get me wrong third time I'm coming, this policy of mine will not change. I will not charge you for my ministry. Well, that's radical. And that's selfless. And the expression that shows how Paul is holding back nothing and loving and serving them to spend and to be spent for your souls. I know a little bit of that. I actually, looking at younger pastors, and sometimes I I just wish they would learn this lesson. I'm indebted to the pastors ahead of me, but I still remember the time I was a merely a uh, volunteer youth leader. And God used that opportunity to open my eyes, to fall in love with those teenagers. And when I became serious about my ministry, there's a stipend, and there's a part-time pay, but it wasn't the part-time pay or the recognition from the church Actually, the more they uh, gave this recognition, it patronized me. So all year long, I worked hard with working with these teenagers. And then end of the day, I have no, nothing against Korean churches. But back then, they'll give me this towel, ugly looking colored towel. Is this what I work for? (laughs) Because some of those people, without the title and without mentor, without any official positions, and uh, I'm really indebted to the full-time staff workers of Campus Crusade for Christ and navigators. They poured out their love in me. They bought lunches and dinners and coffee. So in turn, when I turned and God caused me to fall in love with these teenagers, I held nothing back. Back in the early 90s, when I, when I was close to 30, I was desperate of getting dates. Um, because coming from Texas I didn't know anyone and I had to you know, help out my mom's business uh, kept her in a building situation and then my youth took up all the time but I didn't care but when you really love someone spiritually because of genuine care and you really want that their spiritual growth Holy Spirit gives you more love. I get excited whenever I see their faces. The funny thing is that our, our six uh, seniors were in our youth group back then, were asking each other, and they're going to prom. But 1.30 in the morning, I get a call from one of them. and said, Paul, can we come by? One thirty in the morning. I was living with my parents back then. One thirty in the morning. You guys don't have life. This must be most exciting. Way out there, out there, kind of light, night. But you want to come all the way down to your youth pastors' house? One thirty in the morning. Yeah, we do. So they came. They took a picture. I was looking very sleepy and with shorts and going with these tuxedo guys and all these fancy dresses and I'm taking a picture. That is one of my fondest memories in ministry. There are some memories in my college ministry days of who would, I, I, I will never forget because I was working full time Import and expert business. By the time when I, you know, com- came down to UCI campus and working, talking, and sharing with these college uh, kids, I'm falling asleep as we talk. Are you awake, Paul? I'm in the car sometimes. Like I'm about to go, like a little more conversation. He's asking questions, you know, She's asking questions. I'm just trying to respond. And one of them was Jessica. Do you remember that? Brothers and sisters, you may be leading men's group next week, or women's group the following week. But if you pour your heart into it, it becomes selfless and radically sacrifice, you hold not that thing back. The God-given opportunity will blossom. It's sad. For the record, I'm going to say this. Any pastors who consider their worth as a job is the saddest thing. Last week, I was at a, a pastor's gathering, monthly gathering. One of them has, because of his stress and cancer, in use, use of our cancer came up. One of them church, two leaders are fighting so much, the church is going through so much uh, turmoil. He can't sleep. And I didn't want to say much because I thought you know, searching for a facility is a big deal, but oh, compared to you guys, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> but the point that I'm making is this: Why would you want to do this for money? <laughs> if it's just for money? Here's number three. A very important mark is integrity of pure motive and practice. In other words, Paul kept both his motive and practice pure internally and externally upholding the leadership integrity at all times. (coughs) Verse 16, but granting that I myself did not burden you. I was crafty, you say. And got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent a brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we act, not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for you upbuilding beloved. Oh, this is so important paul 's radical difference compared to other the super apostles false apostles um Paul kept his motive, internal motive, pure, and his practices very pure. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is t- two chapters are devoted to make sure that integrity aspect is clearly de- displayed. He put measures for the accountability about money. No, what was going on? Maybe the projection happened. The false apostles, is, you know, he's not asking for financial support, but he's actually asking for collection for the Jerusalem church. I think we know why. That compared to his minimal d- daily financial support, the collection for the poor in Jerusalem, for several months, it will be a huge amount. That's what, it, what they mean by crafty. I think they would have done it exactly the same way. The projection probably happened. But we know, and the history verifies it. Paul's conscience was clear. His motive and practice was clear. His integrity was intact at all times. (laughs) I I shared this before. The difference between my previous ministry and this, this ministry, I now lift every rock of my heart, not assuming there's nothing there. There are times when I lift my rock even nowadays I feel disgusted about mixed motive and duplicitous mind and I need to confess to the Lord. That's what it means to be pure vessel that God is using for the long run. This kind of work not happens in public. So our discernment should be not in public either. Just because all oh, that person sounds really godly, very fantastic God, the word of God becomes alive, so relevant two two ways also too right so we need to cultivate our integrity as well <clears throat> my younger days when I was reading a w um, this quote a w tozer's quote in J. Oswald Sanders uh, spiritual leadership. I would never forget that impact even to this day. Tozer writes, a true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead but is forced into position of leadership by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of the external situation. The true leader will have no desire to lord it over God's heritage, but will be humble, gentle, self-sacrificing, and altogether as ready to follow as to lead when the Spirit makes it clear that a wiser and more gifted man than himself has appeared. I still remember how ambitious I was, how eager to lead, how I could make a difference. If somebody leave, give me opportunity. I know Tozer was right. If I didn't get rid of that constantly, the subtle motive mixed with good notions. I would not be a true leader. I would not be a safe leader. To those of you, we have a lot of shy, you know, spiritually shy people. Oh, I'm not qualified to lead. I don't think I have what it takes to lead. Maybe you ought to take a look at this too. If you really don't have desire, is it a good thing? Or maybe the point is you know, inversely there's something in it. Your comfort. Your own self-identity. You don't want to get rocked. You don't want to be seen uh, vulnerable in, a, in, in front of others. But it's basically it's about you rather than God. Will you take a risk? A true and safe leader is I don't want to take a risk, but yes, Lord, in obedience to you. You need to have that hard talk with your teenager, with your with your elementary school child, about the word of God, about love of God, about repentance and brokenness. That's spiritual leadership. It's so easy to be liked if you do all the things that just pleases your children. Fourth and last, Mark, it's concern for the spiritual welfare of others. In other words, Paul's ultimate concern was not his vindication, but for others' spiritual welfare. In other words, holiness all oh, this is powerful as well verse 20 for i fear that perhaps when i come i may find you not as i wish and that you may find me not as you, as you wish that perhaps there may be quarreling jealousy anger hostility slander gossip conceit and disorder I fear that when I come again, may, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity and sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. Um, I was in some type of ministry ever since I was 19. Or even earlier than any, if I think about just participating in children's ministry 17 and 18. All those years, I find joy of building into others. Some of my closest friends became my former students who grew up, they're in their 40s now. But what saddens me, in light of the popularity I had among the teenagers, among the college students, many walked away from God. I became still an important person to them. They say nicest things about me. And according to this, I need to examine how I do my ministry. I, I really am being cautious at Crossway. Because the ultimate concern of true spiritual leader is holiness of their lives, their heart change, their, their inside-out changes toward God. Paul is saying that. I'm going to visit you, that some people might have repented and still in that sin. I ha- I would have to confront that. And you will not like it. And I will not like it. Moms, dads, sometimes you need to choose to do things that will Make your teenager or younger children like you, not like you, but sometimes hate you for it, for that. If you are pleasing Christ, not pleasing your children, in the whole realm of this, the perspective, the true love for our children is exactly that as well. Can, can we do value test right now? The next Sunday, I'm going to be actually speaking on this more, but true, true t- value test. Would you want your children go to Ivy League school, become a doctor and lawyer and walk away from their faith? Or your children might not make it to Ivy, <laughs> child, Ivy schools, They barely make it some type of career but still stay hard in loving the Lord. Which one would you choose? We ought to examine ourselves, aren't we? I close with um, John Piper's quote. He wrote a little book called, uh, I think, Marks of a Spiritual Leader. In it, uh, this was worthwhile for us to, to reflect on together. Piper writes, Therefore, the goal of spiritual leadership is that people come to know God and to glorify him in all that they do. Spiritual leadership is aimed not so much at directing people as it is at changing people. If we, if we would be the kind of leaders we ought to be, we must make it our aim to develop persons rather than dictate plans. You can get people to do what you want, but if, you, if they don't change in their heart, you have not led them spiritually. You have not taken them to where God wants them to be. All genuine leadership begins in a sense of desperation, knowledge that we are helpless sinners, sinners in need of a great savior. That moves us to listen to God in his word and to cry out to him for help for, and for insight in prayer. That leads us to trust in God and to hope in his great and precious, precious promises that frees us for a life of love and service service, which in the end causes people to see and give glory to our Father in heaven. Piper is so right. As we conclude Let's recap quickly the four marks of spiritual leadership. God's anointing with humility and endurance. Number two, selfless love and radical sacrifice. Sorry about that. Number three, integrity of pure motive and practice. Number four, concern for the spiritual welfare of others. May we develop true spiritual leaders at Crossway. May we cultivate keen discernment to distinguish true spiritual leaders from the popular, triumphalistic, false teachers and spiritual leaders. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for uh, your word. Once again, it opened up our eyes and hearts. Uh, We submit and surrender to you. Um, We pray that you will continually give us keener discernment in this uh, spiritually confusing days. We also pray that you will call us and empower us and charge us to become true spiritual leaders at home, at work, in our society and in our church for you, Lord. And we pray that um, having seen Paul's example that we may be able to see many other examples, living examples in this church for this dying generation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.